Welcome to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. One thing I can promise for every episode, I will be authentic about my experiences and observations and do it with as much humor as possible. Not always possible, but generally speaking, it is. Beyond that, I will keep making the point that we're all in this together and that no one should ever, ever feel alone or judged in any way. I think we can all agree that dating over 50 is hard enough as it is. After you listen, you're welcome to comment on my Lynn Garson author page on Facebook. But for now, keep listening for another new episode. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, and welcome to Episode 7 of Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. We are in the middle of talking about lessons learned from the dating experiences I describe in Sex and the Single Grandma. In the past two episodes, I've talked about neediness and rushing it, and I talked about that with reference to some of the guys I describe in the book, really all of them in this case, Alan, George, Richard, and Zane. Then last episode, I spoke about not speaking up for myself, and surprise, surprise, the same cast of characters showed up, Ellen, George, Richard, and Zane. So this episode, I'm going to talk about overlooking reality in favor of the fantasy. And lo and behold, only Ellen, Peter, and George show up for this particular habit that I identified. But before I tell you about those things, allow me a brief digression. And it's really not a huge digression, but it's something that I promised to you, and it's about my two recent dates. I did say that I would report on them, and here I am reporting. So the nice part is that years ago, I would have ignored the warning signs, i.e. reality, and plowed straight ahead because I had made up in my mind the fantasy that either one of these guys was the guy. So let's start with Rex, and that's a fake name. Nice enough guy, but not really my type. Particularly when he commented that he'd quit dating one woman when she revealed that she attended a 12-step meeting and was in recovery from a former addiction. Now, anybody who's read anything about me and has looked at my website knows that my first book, Southern Vapors, is about me being in not one, not two, but three mental institutions, albeit voluntarily committed on my own, going under my own steam, but nonetheless, I had issues with a capital I. Which is not to say that everything's gone and I'm a whole different person, but I've worked my way through these things. But I do not, in any way, shape, or form, consider going to a 12-step meeting anything that I would consider a negative. In fact, I consider that a positive, that someone has looked at themselves, is self-aware enough to want to make some changes, and has figured out a way to do it. By me, that is about the best thing that I think anyone can do, and they have my complete admiration. In fact, I went out with another guy, oh, I don't know, three months ago, who with great trepidation revealed to me that he went to a 12-step program and I think was just thrilled when I said, 
fine with me. You know, I've been in all sorts of places. And while I don't do a 12-step program, you've got my great admiration and support and doesn't mean anything negative to me. So that was number one. And Rex, sadly, is consigned to history. Number two, and we'll call him Chris, is even more interesting. So Chris and I went out for a lunch date. Now, this is a blind date. Never met this guy before. And we discussed all kinds of things about ourselves. He was a very bright guy, is a very bright guy, very entertaining. And I ended up telling him that I'd written this book, Sex and the Single Grandma, about dating over 50. And he was all interested in that, which was fine with me. So he asked me again the name. I gave it to him, told him where he could buy it on Amazon. And lo and behold, the very next day, I get the following email from Chris. Oh, let me give you a little backstory. So on our date, our single date that we've ever had about, we I mean, we talked a lot. We had a good time. So a couple of hours into it, Chris says to me, can you see yourself in a romantic relationship with me? Now, I've known this guy for five minutes. So I sort of Fumped around and said, I don't know. I don't even know you. Maybe, maybe we could find that out. And he then said, Well, I would like to have a romantic relationship with you. And, Southern woman that I am, I said, Thank you very much. That's very flattering. But I didn't say anything more. So then I get this email at one day after the date Hi, Lynn. I got your book via my Kindle and read the first few chapters. For me, there seems to be a huge disconnect. Once I read that, I'm wondering, what is he talking about? Well, here you go. While you in person are talkative and gregarious, you seem quite the opposite of the author of your book. In person, you seem cautious, while the author seems very open and adventurous sexually. Perhaps we can explore my perceptions the next time we meet. I am off to run some errands now, but would love to talk more. Chris. Well, do you think Chris and I are going to explore his perceptions the next time we meet? If you do, you have not gotten to know me through the prior six episodes of this podcast, and I recommend that you go back and listen to them again because I am not the least bit interested in somebody who out of the gate jumps to that conclusion after having had a lunch with me. So obviously Chris is interested in sex, sex, and more sex. And that is fine with me. Anybody can make that choice. I have zero judgment, as you well know, about anybody else's choices, but that is not my choice. So the good news is that instead of adopting some kind of notion that, oh, but he's really a nice guy and it doesn't matter that he said this and he's so bright and so interesting and and well-traveled, I am looking reality in the face and saying that, well, no, Chris, this is not a fit. So, and I've not emailed him back yet, but I will and say very nicely that it's not a fit, but I wish him well. So what about the other guys in my book that have to do with fantasy versus reality. Well, let's start with Alan. Alan's house was falling down around his ears, and I made up in my head that that was really okay. It was even sort of charming. Then I went into Alan's house, 
and saw literally that wallpaper was hanging off the walls and that he was sort of a hoarder. His whole dining room was filled up with books and and manuscripts and, and legal things from the floor to the ceiling. And yet I still stayed because in my head, I'm still in the fantasy thinking, yeah, but. And I think what I'm thinking and what the yeah, but is, is maybe I can change him. Well, Alan himself had the good sense to say to me at one point during the evening, you know, I've dated a number of women and they didn't stay around for long because they all wanted to change me. And I'm thinking in my head, no shit, dude. I mean, who wants to live in this house or or date somebody who lives in this house? But I kept my mouth shut. And I think I even started to process that this guy liked the way he lived. He was not interested in making any changes. He even liked the house that he lived in. And it was not going to work for me to go into some relationship with him thinking that I was going to change any of that. It reminds me of when I was in the retreat at Shepherd Pratt, which is a wonderful mental health facility in Baltimore, one of the very few left in the country. It's private pay. It's very expensive. I think I've mentioned that I was very lucky that my family sent me there in 2008, but it is not something that's widely available, and they are very, very good at what they do. And they throw a lot of mud at the wall and you see what sticks. Well, one thing that made an impression with me was a, a professional, a counselor, who met with me and discussed with me a program that had to do with sort of rewiring the way you think about things. And for example, if you don't have a good self-image and you're constantly saying to yourself, oh, I'm, I, I'm not attractive, I'm ugly, I'm too fat, I'm too this, I'm too that... What this sort of teaching says the first thing you need to do is clean up the way you think about yourself, and then that will have impact on how you act and how you put yourself out in the world, which in turn will bring you positive results. So believe that or don't believe it as the case may be, I enjoyed the program and, and thought that some of it was very valuable. And one very valuable thing that this counselor said to me is, and this is sort of a funny little thing, but it is so good. You can argue with reality and you will lose, but only 100% of the time. And that's, you know, it's a funny way to say it, but the truth is nobody's going to change at this stage of life. That's reality. I think I talked about uh, Peter. This is maybe one of the few instances where I see a sort of habit in what I did with Peter. I made up in my head that this pimply-faced little kid with whom I didn't even have a verbal conversation, only by text, was going to be this great romantic encounter. That was probably the biggest fantasy of anything I did in the entire time of, of dating that I describe in Sex and the Single Grandma. And read that section, read that part, because boy, will you find out how wrong a person can be. And the thing that I take away from this is that people are not going to change. I'm now 65 years old. The men I'm going to date, by and large, will be older than that. I, you know, I might go out with somebody a little bit younger, but they'll typically be my age or older. They're not going to change. They're not going to do one thing any different from anything that they've done up until this point, unless they want to change it themselves. And it goes in both directions. 
No man who's going to date me should expect that I will make any changes just because he wants me to. Now, I'm not saying that people can't change. They can. I did. I have put a tremendous amount of work and effort into all kinds of therapy and all kinds of readings and teachings trying to make certain changes in my life to make my life more manageable. A very concrete example is that many, many years ago, I was a real spendthrift. If I had money, I spent it. I had no idea of the, as my father used to say, the value of a dollar, and I didn't care. And I just figured it would be around and and everything would be fine. And then I fell on hard times and I learned that, in fact, nobody promised me anything. And if I wanted to have money in the bank, I better make sure that I did and that I didn't spend it all. And I made that change because my life was so miserable and so difficult and so fearful when I did not have money and and didn't think that I could retain money and, and couldn't manage it, that I did what it took to make those changes. But I made those changes because I wanted to, not because anyone else wanted me to. So that's why I say people, men in this case, which I'm talking about dating, they're not going to change. So if I'm going to be wrapped up in a fantasy, I'm going to keep getting the same result over and over and over and over. And if you've heard me talk about all my dating and all the things in Sex and the Single Grandma, how sick am I of getting the same result over and over and over? Very sick of it. So when I went out with the first guy the other night, Rex, and he said he didn't like somebody. Oh, I forgot to say one thing. Uh, he was a Jewish guy, is a Jewish guy, and he said he didn't think that Jewish women had these problems. And I just looked at him. I just looked at him. What are you going to say to somebody who can make a blanket statement like that? Because as we all know, issues such as addiction, alcoholism, mental health issues are the most democratic issues in the world. They slice and dice across everything, whether it be religion, race, belief systems, how tall you are, what your background is, whether you grew up wealthy, whether you didn't grow up wealthy. Um, They are extremely democratic. And so Rex was pretty much... uh, I'd say completely mistaken in his idea that Jewish women don't struggle with these kinds of issues. And for me, that's that's pretty much was going to be the end of, of anything moving forward with him. And not to mention the fact that he was also just sort of an old fart in other ways as well. So, and I'm not up for going out with old farts. So put that one to rest, put Chris to rest. He can look all he wants for a woman who wants to discuss their sexual inclinations on the first date. That is not me, and I'm not going to make up a fantasy about what kind of guy he might be if he were to change just because I like certain things about his personality. So that is me on and my thoughts on what it means to move from the fantasy to the reality And it's a work in progress. I'm not saying that I won't ever get trapped by the fantasy again because I was brought up reading all kinds of ridiculous books that were basically Romeo and Juliet kinds of stories. Don't ask me why, but that was really the steady diet of reading that my mother, who was a voracious reader, 
sort of exposed me to at a very young and, and impressionable age, I think in my early and mid and late teens. And I ate it up with a spoon until I went to Mexico when I was, oh Lord, 27 with a very good friend of mine. And we were we had a room together and I'm reading, reading, reading all the crap that I always read. And she said, let me see that. What is What are you reading that you're just so into? And I gave it to her and she literally looked at it for 10 seconds and said, you have got to be kidding. And she gave it back to me and I looked at it and my eyes had been opened and I looked at it too and I was like, what? What is this drivel? And I stopped reading it, but it doesn't mean I gave up the fantasies, unfortunately. That has taken only about 40 more years. But here I am, 65, giving up the fantasies, bring on reality, and we will talk more about that on the next episode. Until that, have a wonderful week. Try to stay in your own reality. I'm going to do the same for me. And as I've said before, we are all in this together. 